and she was young and she's like and this is how I became a millionaire and this is how you can become a millionaire too and I was just yelling at the computer like I don't want to be a millionaire And welcome to episode 50 of Art Juice. This is honest, generous, and humorous conversations to feed your creative soul and get you thinking with me, Louise Fletcher. And me, Alice Sheridan. And today we're talking about how we define success. So this should be an interesting one. But before we get onto that main topic, why don't you catch us up with what you've been up to, Alice? What, in the last three days since we spoke? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, really over the last two weeks since we haven't discussed what we've been doing. Okay, well, most of that didn't count, did it? And most of the last three days hasn't counted um, because I did actually spend New Year's Eve on a double bill in the cinema, which was rather good fun, it has to be said. Two totally contrasting films. We had Little Women and then a dinner break. That was just me and my daughter. My husband met us for dinner and then the three of us went back and we watched Star Wars. So, yeah, that's what I've been doing this week. No, that's That's not all of it. That's a contrasting film experience. It was a very contrasting film experience and quite fun for it. Um, And then, because I hadn't had a big hangout New Year's Eve party, I woke up on New Year's Day feeling fresh as a daisy, um, had a lovely cup of tea in bed and finished off the last of the Christmas gingerbread, and finally got my planning thing on. Yay! (laughs) It's happened. The virus is back. I have got the planning virus back again. And I am totally on fire with all the lovely, exciting things I'm going to do and trying desperately to work out how I can fit it all in, which is the only fly in the ointment. But it was really good fun. And I think all the kind of slight worry about it was just all these ideas going around in my head and now that I've got a new page to put each different set of ideas on and somewhere to park them until I get to them oh I just love that feeling so yeah Yeah. I've been planning it is very exciting well I've been organizing as well and planning as I was last week but also organizing the house organizing things I need for next year for the business and and one of the things that really struck me the last few days, I've been making an ebook, which is going to be a free giveaway to promote my courses, really. But, but it's a free giveaway in itself, and it's going to be a nice thing for people to have. But making it, I think I messaged you a few times about Canva, and it just makes me realize that even though we tear our hair out with all this technology and I I really felt at the beginning of making this I'm never going to be able to do this yeah but but it's finished I did it in three days and it's amazing that we can do that it's amazing that I don't have to learn Adobe whatever it is the one in design just so that I can make an ebook in you know we have access to so much stuff these days and we tend to get into that mode of oh it's too hard and I don't want to deal with it and I don't want to learn something new but when you actually step back and look at what's possible with all the tools that we have I don't I can't imagine there's ever been a better time to be an artist in history than now apart from the fact that you've just spent three days making an ebook 
well what does that have to do with being there being a better time to be an artist only so, that if if it takes you if your definition of being an artist is taking you away from making art one could see that kind of thing as a distraction however I oh, yeah, don't, yeah, think, yeah, I don't yeah. think that that ever has been truly if we're honest about it the definition of being an artist I'm reading at the moment the Margaret Forster book uh, Keeping the World Away which um, apparently is the story of a painting that travels through three different owners but at the moment uh, it starts off and it's got a girl and she becomes Rodin's lover and they're talking about basically all these people who are you know trying to make a living as an artist but it's it's clear from that that actually making art is never just about making art it's yeah. always been about doing all the other things that you do to kind of you know keep that alive or whether it's teaching or having students or traveling or doing commissions that you don't really want to do but you have to do so but yes I agree with you I think the danger is that we have so much at our fingertips that it becomes hard to choose which is the right thing for you to do and where you want to spend your time so how do you feel about canva now well uh, much better (laughs) and (laughs) things kept happening i was like oh that's what that's for i see (laughs) like just happened by accident i never read the instructions but yeah it's that it's that idea of course lots of people listening if they're not promoting courses or whatever they won't want to write an ebook but that idea that you can make a video very easily put it up on Facebook and show your artwork to people you know Van Gogh couldn't do that no and it doesn't even have to be an ebook for other artists you could put together a a, just a really nicely laid out document in Canva that showed all your available work for sale and make that available as a download from your website if you wanted or you could do something that was a hanging guide it would you know three-page hanging guide yeah and I, I know the, for lots of people they don't love that side of things but it's just you have to get you have to get real that that's just part of it and then once you get into the mindset that it's part of it the way you've been getting excited with your planning I think it's exciting to come up with marketing ideas it's creative yeah. and we're the most creative we should be the most creative people there are being artists so we should be able to come up with cool things to do it doesn't have to be boring and it doesn't have to be uh depressing to learn this stuff it can actually be exciting i think if you can get to the point where you get the wins like as you're saying you you know the first time you open up anything like that it's daunting and it's scary yeah and you kind of think oh, i don't know what any of this means you know you you have to poke around under the bonnet a little bit and then when you discover oh that makes that do that it's quite fun. It's like magic, really. There was something, I can't think what it was now, the other day in MailChimp that I've never worked out how to do. I can't think what it was, but I needed, I needed to do it and I needed to get it sorted then. And all I did was Google, how do I do X, Y, Z in MailChimp? Up popped a little video. Then I did it and I was like, oh, why didn't I do that? Why didn't I do that two years ago? It was that simple, you know. Yeah. And there there is a satisfaction I think when you can give yourself the time and the allowance to know that your solution is not going to be instantaneous and you have to give yourself a little bit of a little bit of leeway to know that it's a learning curve 
it's a bit like painting while you're talking I'm thinking this is exactly like painting when you yeah. go in not wanting to fail and not wanting to mess anything up it, it's always hard yeah. but when you go in thinking okay I'm allowed to mess things up yeah I'm just learning then things work out and I think I often approach it in exactly the same way. If I have new technology that I don't want to face, I don't sit down with a task to accomplish. I say my first thing is to log on, create the account, and then I'm just going to spend 20 minutes looking and seeing what all the drop-down menus do. That's it. Yeah. Oh, I know what I did it with as well the other day. I did it with my Google Analytics. Not my most favorite place to be at all, but I've somehow lost the login to my original where I got my web stats from because it was from my old website that I set up nine years ago about something totally different. So I had to work out a new way of getting my web stats for the end of the year. So I thought, oh gosh, I'm going to go and have to look at Google Analytics. But it was quite fun pressing all the buttons and looking at all the different graphs. Yeah, you find all sorts of things out. Yeah, and all sorts of really complicated things that I have absolutely no idea how to use yet and think I'm very grateful that I don't need to know it to that level of complexity. When I first got my Google Analytics account, it was fantastically easy to understand. And this was prior to even working in art. It was so easy. And then at some point they did a redesign and improved oh. everything. And ever since they improved everything, I really struggle still to this day to wade my way through where everything is. Anyway, yeah. it's fun. It's fun to see where you all are who visit my website. I can tell you where you are in the world. I <laughs> like that. It's a little bit creepy, actually, when you start to see, because you can see people's, you can't, don't worry, everybody, we can't actually see who you are, but you can see IP addresses. And I think if they come from a company, you can see the company name. Is that in Google Analytics Ooh, or is that in something that. else? The bit that yeah. slightly freaks me out. And again, when I remember when I first started, I used to think I can play around with my website to my heart's content. I can spend all day messing up this page. I probably published every page I made a change because nobody was looking at it anyway, so it didn't matter. So every time I made a change, I would just publish it, go and look at it on the real side yeah. <laughs> rather yeah. than looking at the preview. And now if I go on my Google Analytics, and it says how many people are looking at your site in live time. And I think, oh, maybe I can't do that anymore. Yeah. <laughs> muck around with my website on the go <laughs> so shall we move on on that note to okay. our main topic now we came up with this topic idea months ago we when we planned out we actually did a content plan all the way through i think the end of february and we came up with this one and I can't remember why we thought this was a good idea or what we planned to talk about with it. So that should make it quite an interesting discussion. All we've written down is this is what is our definition of success? Yes. Okay. It's probably quite a good one after talking about Google Analytics, because when I look at a lot of the things that that measures and it doesn't feel remotely valid or interesting or relevant to me, I think, well, obviously that's not my definition of success then. So it's not about necessarily you know acquisitions or sales from however many people have looked at my website but that's clearly important to some people I think it changes your definition of success yeah I think it definitely has for me I mean I think in pure financial terms you know I started off feeling if I sold two thousand pounds worth of artwork in a year that was a success for me because yep. two thousand pounds is two thousand pounds more than zero pays yep. for the paint and it pays yep. for the boards 
yeah and that you know that was a success and then i think in terms of financial markers it changes and you set yourself new goals and some of the time they have been related for me to where i was in the past so at one point it was i will really consider this a success when i can match what my previous income from a full-time job is that mm-hmm. was a marker for success now i'm trying to beat my husband <laughs> <laughs> Shh. just because it would be really nice one year to do that <laughs> i think well i tell you what i think is important on the financial comparison front because some people that might not be what they're interested in at all and i think we do get quite bombarded and i remember really just wanting to throw my pick my computer up and throw it at the wall when i first started learning a little bit about how to take businesses online and online challenge things and everybody would throw around this phrase you know five six figure income when i get you know are you a six figure business owner oh and you know when my aim was to earn 2000 pounds in a year that felt such a million miles away from me i did not find that inspirational one single iota it made me sick it made me feel like a failure it made me feel like that was something i was never going to achieve and i just i just hated the way everybody said it so kind of flippantly and i think it's very whenever you're setting financial goals for yourself therefore i always try to do it relative to something that's more personal to me don't make anybody else's marker of success yours it's funny that you say that because i've been watching i told you a lot of youtube stuff i want to get my youtube channel sorted out and i want to so i've been watching a lot of videos about how to do that and there's one woman who has a good youtube channel um and good information called sunny somebody and i will find out her name and put it in the show she's got lots of z's in it hasn't she yeah it's a long name but i'll put it in the show notes yeah but she she had a video that just popped on after the video I was watching and she was talking about what they are all saying now they've moved away from six figure businesses and now there are millionaires. Oh really? Um, And she was young and she's like, and this is how I became a millionaire and this is how you can become a millionaire too. So it, it was apart from her YouTube instructional videos, she's obviously got this other line in how to become a millionaire and I was just like you because I was really getting annoyed. I was making dinner and my hands were messy, so I couldn't go turn it off at that moment. And I was just yelling at the computer like, I don't want to be a millionaire. Stop going on about how I, because I was brought up not to talk about money anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So I find that now she's American, so it's different there. But I just found it really tacky and like, stop boasting that you're a millionaire. I'm not impressed. I don't want to be a millionaire. It's not, I mean, I wouldn't say no if someone gave me a million pounds, but it's not a driver for me. No. But but that's not the only one of those young social media people I've seen talking about becoming a millionaire and the first time they made a million dollars. And it's a strange world. So that's definitely not my measure of success. But yes, it does. It gets bounded. And I just don't think it's helpful. It's no. It's not helpful. A, because wherever you are is only ever relative to your goals and your idea of success as well. Yeah. And so I have my own financial objectives and they're based on 
they're just I suppose they're based on the kind of life that I want to have and they're mine and I wouldn't tell anybody what they are they're just they're mine I'm okay with keeping that to myself yeah but I always I do always set them higher higher than seems reasonable yep so I don't set them at what I actually need or want to live on I set them higher just because I I do believe there's something in that. I do believe that if you set your measures of success or your goals low, that's what you'll achieve. Yeah. And there's all the other element of that is shoot for the moon and settle for the stars. Yeah. And then you, you want, you're not disappointed. If you, if you set a low goal and then you, you don't quite make it, that's disappointing. If you set a high goal and you don't quite make it, you still end up somewhere good. So that's always been my philosophy. Yeah. The other version of that, if you don't like the idea of dropping below anything that you set for yourself, is to set a good, better, best goal. Yeah. You've talked about that before. Yeah. So give yourself, you know, if you have, and you know, this is, I think this is particularly appropriate for when perhaps you're working in an area where there might be some elements that you don't have any control over, for example, sales at an art fair, you know, you can have a good, better, best goal. It might be that not so much happens on the day. And where that actually helps you focus is that if you don't quite meet your goal on the day, it gives you a bit of the oomph to do whatever you need to maybe do follow up with people or email people or talk to your um, email list about it after the event rather than collapsing on the sofa. Whereas if you don't have any idea of financial goal for a particular event like that, you just take what's offered and that's the end of it. So I think it does, it does help. It helps spur me into action, I think, and to do things that otherwise I might not be prepared to do if I didn't have that kind of wanting sense of achievement. I've got a question for you that's just popped in my mind. Go on Since we're, we're saying that financial goals are important, but it's not our only or even main definition of success. Would it be possible for you to have what you considered to be a successful art year if your sales were not as good as last year? Uh, My sales in 2019 weren't as good as they were in 2018, which I've just been discussing in a Connected Artist Cool. But would but would it be possible in that situation, or is it possible for you to feel like it's still a successful year because oh, big time, totally yes. And one of the things that I was talking about is I I, I encourage everybody to do this um, uh, tracking, and I explain to them now with three years worth of of um, figures, I track my studio time, I track what I create, I track what I sell track the value of what I create and it actually helped me I looked at it and at the end of the year and you could add this up seasonally or quarterly or whatever works for you but at the end of the year I actually thought well I know I know perhaps why the sales weren't so high because I didn't have so many events in the year and it's not just that the sales happen at the events but what I realized was having the events in my calendar is one of the things that boosts me into taking work from that I'm happy painting things are 80% finished, but they're not 100% finished. It, it helps me get them over the line. And I didn't have anything of that in the end half of the year. You guys who've been listening for a long time will have heard me talk about that. It wasn't my intention for the end part of the year. So that's why mm-hmm. last year was still a success because 
I had other things that were important to me last year. So one of my big wishes last year was collaboration with others. It wasn't all about sales. And yet what happened along the way was I got the new studio and I feel that probably last year more than any other has been the year that my work has taken really big steps forward. And I've left the year with a lot of work in progress. It just didn't make it into the spreadsheet of finished work, if that makes sense. Mm. I asked you that because I was thinking about it and I was thinking, could I, if this year I really develop my work and it really gets exciting to me and I make tons of things I love and then I have events and people don't buy them, would I give, would I stop feeling like it was a success? Even though up until that point, I had felt like I was successful in developing my work. If nobody wanted to buy it, would that change it? And I'd love to think it wouldn't. I'd love to think that I, you know, stride on in my own, in my own direction and feel really successful, but I'm not sure that I would. I think the external validation is important. I think the external validation is important and it is for me too. But I think that there are other things that carry you. And actually, whenever you finish a body of work, you're already thinking and feeling about the new work and what's going to come next. So Mm. say you had a group of work and you were really excited about it and you showed it at one thing and usually you sell five paintings and you didn't sell any. You're going to be disappointed on that day? Hell yeah, really mm. disappointed. You're going to, yeah, I mean, you are because it, it's, it's going to feel like now it might be that you're just a little bit ahead of the curve or that your work has changed or that it's changed and it's a little bit of a mismatch with your audience who are interested in existing stroke previous work and yours has shifted a bit. So your audience and your marketing maybe has got to catch up with it for a bit. Maybe if you were doing something new, you haven't quite got the skill level to carry it off yet. And I think we have to be realistic about that too. I think that happens. Sometimes we have work that we're really excited about. And then, you know, you look back on it a year later and you just think, oh, really? Gosh. But I think as creators, we inherently carry on making and doing things anyway. I don't think it would stop you. No, I don't think it would stop me. But but it would, whether, whether you'd feel you're successful. Yeah, I was wondering in terms of the definition of success, because I, I have two competing things at the moment, I think, in my mind. One is the desire for respect or appreciation for my work. And one yeah. is the desire to sell it. Yeah. And they're not necessarily mutually exclusive, but they mm-hmm. can be. There's, there's work I used to do that I know I could make again and sell a lot more than what I'm doing now. Yep. But I have no interest in that. So I'm obviously not entirely driven by yep. selling. Otherwise, yep. I would do that. But I, th- I, I wonder, and it'd be interesting to know what people are thinking as they're listening. I wonder if you have to be able to detach from the desire for sales as a measure of success in order to really develop whatever idea it is that you're working on I think you do while you're in the process of making it I think if while you're making it you're worrying about whether it will sell or not that that definitely holds you back yeah well from the kind of work that we're making anyway yeah 
not for everybody. It probably also holds you back if you're worrying about it being respected and appreciated. That probably equally holds you back. Because you're thinking, what does someone outside you think? In this case, some imaginary art expert, what would they say about this? And you can, I don't think you can be even thinking that while you're making as well. So but this comes back to what we're looking at as success. So, so far, we've got some kind of financial recognition. We've got external validation approval. Tied with that has to be intrinsically your own self sense of growth and worth and learning and development. That's got to be in the mix somehow. Yeah. Yes. And that's that's kind of at the root of that question I was asking about if you next year made an entirely, you know, exciting, different body of work and then nobody wanted to buy it, would you go from feeling successful? At first you felt successful intrinsically in yourself and then it didn't sell. Would it shake that feeling of success? I was going to say, I think it depends how congruent you are and whether you spent any time actually defining this for yourself before you even begin. What do you um, mean by that? I mean, if you understand that what's important for you is some degree of external validation, if you don't get it, there is going to be a measure by which, for a period of time, that feels like it hasn't been a success for you. If yeah. you understand that that is a part of it for you, but there are also other things that come into the mix, then it's probably going to, your disappointment will hold you back for a shorter period of time. Does that make sense? Yeah. I mean, there are other things too, aren't there, about, you know, success as life in general. I've probably failed this year in terms of, you know, a measure of success being having time to have dinner, for have dinner with friends not been very successful at that this year last yeah. year whatever year we're on <laughs> <laughs> we're yeah last year <laughs> so you know lots of these kind of year review things include they include health they include family travel i mean lot again going back to the entrepreneur on what online world there's an awful awful huge amount of stuff about living around the world in different places laptop laptop lifestyle i personally i can't imagine anything worse there's somebody i know and he seems to be in a different country every week he's always on an airplane that's my idea of hell yeah not, that's too. not my idea of success at all yeah yeah and it, it makes me wonder with not with our audience i'm sure but with that audience of younger people watching those laptop lifestyle and I've got a Porsche and whatever people whether it makes you feel like that's what you should have regardless of whether that's actually truly if you were because young people are not yet in touch enough with themselves perhaps to know what they really want they want what they see other people want it took me a long time to be more in touch with myself to know what I consider important so that I can listen to that woman going on about being a millionaire and just say, I don't care. I don't want to be a millionaire. So there's an interesting question. So what, what did success look like for you when you were, let's pick an age. Let's say when you were, I don't know, 25 to 27 ish. Oh, I know exactly. What, what, 
what would have defined success <laughs> it's so funny now because i would not want to do this ever ever again i used to work for a chain of record stores hmv people in some countries will know them and some people won't and um i got i ended up working in the head office in canada and i remember there was a big meeting i was in human resources but i was a low level person fairly low level and there was a big meeting where something really secret was going down and my boss went into that meeting and I remember thinking, I just want to be in those meetings where like the executives <laughs> talk about things. And fast forward like 10 years when I was in those meetings and I was the top HR person. Oh God, what an awful, they're an awful experience. People are politicking and yelling at each other and you just sit there staring at a, pale, a plate of stale sandwiches thinking, <laughs> what time like, can I go home like, like the curls uh, at the edges yeah and you go, and I used to get up when we lived in New York at six in the morning drive to Long Island and then leave at about 8 30 and I used to stop for a McDonald's on the way home because I had no time to make anything to eat I used to come home go to bed and then do it again the next day and mm. that at one point was my definition of success mm when you got it to that level did you feel you were living the dream or how long did it how long does it take you to kind of think mm, this is not right because I think this is another point we can all get it wrong in terms of what we think will feel like success and I think what's important is what if you kind of an ability to be able to recognize it and pivot and change and accept yeah it's okay to make new rules for yourself I recognize that I didn't love it within a year or two yeah. I just realized being a woman in a man's world was just not any fun and I just didn't enjoy it. And it was a man's world in the place where I worked. But, and this is really important for everybody, I didn't do anything about it because I had made a good salary, had a nice house. And it, looking back, the, the 56, 56 year old, the 56 year old me would not put up with being that unhappy. I just yeah. wouldn't say I'm quitting and the first time someone shouted at me I'd say I'm out of here I'm not doing this but the 35 year old me didn't see any other option yeah. and I so I stayed in the prison doing the miserable things because I was successful right I got everything that you're supposed to get and yeah. my husband too he was in a very high-powered job and he ended up actually quitting us at one point because he became so stressed and unhappy um, so he did have the courage to leave and stop doing that before I did. I wonder, is there even an equivalent to that in, in the art world? Is there well, a way you could be so miserable? Well, when I was thinking about working with this very big gallery last year, mm. I had a couple of conversations with people that helped me decide very clearly that it wasn't for me. And... I certainly got the impression that for a few of them, it felt like a little bit of a, I was going to say, even a mixed bliss, even a mixed blessing handcuff is a little bit of an optimistic way of putting it. Right. It felt like they were in a situation much like you that they had kind of hoped for and wished for. And I think this is maybe where we have to be careful about this, you know, just making sure that you're not not just jumping into things that you assume are going to be the solution and then getting yourself into something that you can't get out of easily 
But it's interesting when you were talking about, you know, those early days at work and I, I wasn't, didn't work for as long in the corporate world before I left to have children. But I remember one of the big frustrations. So I was working as a graphic designer and we had the account manager. So we would do all the work on the, on the projects. We'd, we'd create all the visuals, come up with the ideas, you know, come up with all the, the creative alternatives, put the visuals together. And then the account managers would go off and present it to the clients. And I remember that driving me insane. How, and I, I've never really thought about it until now. I just remember being really frustrated about, but how can somebody else explain the idea because it's, it's not their idea? And I know that there should be a point that obviously it doesn't need explaining. Things could be self-explanatory. But look at, look at the associations now between that and how I'm working with my art. And it's only just occurred to me now that the reason I enjoy it so much now is I get to choose. I get to advocate for my own work. I get to say who I show it to, who I want to work with, how I want to create things for myself, where I show up. You get to explain it to buyers when they come to an art fair and ask you what it's all about. Yeah. Or, or I can choose not to and leave them guessing. Does it, I mean, you know, but the point is, it isn't that yeah. interesting that, you know, I was very happy in that job. I enjoyed that job. But I remember that definitely has been one of the frustrations of it. Yeah. And it's interesting how now when I've chosen to do this this way, I wonder if that, you know, that's one of the driving forces. So maybe, maybe that's something for me that counts as success is a degree of autonomy. Yes. I think definitely for me, freedom over my own time is huge, a huge measure of success. If I became really successful selling lots and lots of paintings and then felt like a, a rat on a wheel going round and round and round trying to produce, that would that would feel like having a job again. You were asking yeah. me last week, is there a chance that this could feel, start feeling too yeah. depressing? But no, because it's my choice and I get to say if I'm going to do it or not. But that freedom, the freedom to just, well, go out for lunch with a friend or go walk my dog in the middle of the day or, you know, just, it's not like I want to do dramatically exciting things, but just the freedom of my own time and choosing who I work with and choosing who I don't and choosing what projects I take on and that's the other thing as well is that what you're doing now we you and I you're you're still at the stage where you're you're experimenting and this comes down to being being your own boss but you're experimenting with things you want to some of it is a challenge for yourself. You want to, yeah. there's nobody else. There's nobody else to be answerable to. And even in my other business, there was my husband and we ran it together. So I, I would say, what do you think about redesigning our website? And he'd say, oh, I don't know, because, you know, whatever, or, or vice versa. Um, and that's a, that was a source of frustration to me because I'm always right. And obviously we should have done it my way. And he wouldn't always listen to me. <laughs> But now I get to be, and Phil says to me now, you're like Noel Gallagher, the, the uh, guy from Oasis, because he famously once said to one of the people in his band, he got a new bass player and he said, you do not even lift a finger off that fret until I tell you and you put it where I tell you to. <laughs> so he said, that's what I'm like. But it's true. I like to do it my own way. Yeah. And that, 
that that means that my definition of success with the core side of my business would never be to make it huge and have a big team because even though they were all my employees then it still involved complications with other people and I just don't want to do that so much of this then comes down to knowing yourself and what makes you tick and seeing how much you can build that into how much of that you can build into your everyday life whether it's to do with making art or to do with other things and actually how much of an overlap perhaps you can get between those and when we get frustrated is where that there is something that's intrinsically us that somehow we can't do or is not being allowed space to develop or is not being given life that that's where we feel failure perhaps is the opposite of success failure I don't think it is necessarily is it I think sometimes the opposite of success is not even trying sometimes is that good yeah that's very (laughs) good it's very profound (laughs) but I just thinking you know yes the opposite of success is failure but actually some failures are inevitable you know if you're trying anything that's different or daring or an experiment there are going to be things that don't work out and actually failures, and I know it's a cliche, but I had a failure at the end of last year that was a brilliant thing to have happened because it clarified something for me. So mm-hmm. the failure I had was that I decided to create something to attract people who might be interested in my course. And I had this video already made, which was an introduction to acrylics. And so I made that into what they call a lead magnet. So people could sign up to watch that and they'd give me their email address. Well, all that happened is that the open rates on my newsletter plummeted down really low. What I realized from that is there's nothing wrong with the idea of creating something to get people to sign up for your email list. Yeah. What I had done is given something that attracted the wrong people yeah these people weren't interested in finding their own voice and making different artwork that wasn't like anyone else's they wanted to learn how to use acrylics so duh but the failure cost me nothing except some time putting it all up and getting it going the the magic learning out of it was that I really got to think okay hang on a second let me just go back and look at the people who took my course what did they really want yeah they didn't want an introduction to acrylics some of them did need that as well but that's not what they were drawn to so I'm going to try something new now and it's much more targeted to the exact people that I want to bring in yeah who will be interested when they get my newsletter because they will want to know And we'll see if it works or not. But, but what I loved about that was, so it's a failure, but it's not a failure because well, it forced me to think of something else, which yeah. will probably work better. Yeah. So you're looking for congruency. And also it's not even a failure in that you spent time creating that content because for other people, no. that might be a bonus, bonus material that they'd be very happy to have access to, but it's not what yeah. you need to pull people in it's not it's it's not the right audience for what I'm actually creating yeah so failure I think when we say what's our definition of success I don't think the definition definition of success is to never have failures I actually think the definition of success is to have lots and lots of failures 
because that means you're and that in our art specifically that means that you're trying new things that means that you're pushing forward that means that you're not settling for what you've already done a hundred times before but like you said maybe the real opposite is not even trying so you Mm -hmm. don't try to push your work forward because you're scared and you leave it where it is so you don't have any failures you have lots and lots of successful paintings but deep down you know that that's not really what you want to be doing yeah it's all about getting closer to what's really really important is it but we do like selling paintings along the way So, on to inside, outside. What has inspired you this week, Alice? Well, mine would be in Under the Wire today. And we went to, uh, I took Amy to go and see the Oliver Lyerson, which by the time this goes out, will have finished. So she's been badgering me to book tickets for it for ages. I spoke before about the BBC documentary that I saw on his work. So he's an ice, mm-hmm. is he ice? Is, if he is is Icelandic or does a lot of work in his studios in Berlin anyway now loved the documentary hated the exhibition oh hated it. why quite, quite glad I went I it just it felt like cheap circus trickery for adults and everything was all I mean there were people taking photos of people including me taking photos of people <laughs> taking photos Everybody was taking photos of everything. It was like a fairground hall of mirrors crossed with the toddler exhibition at the Science Museum. <laughs> Sorry, I didn't like it. Really what did Amy like think? It. She thought the same. <laughs> we did like, we liked the room with fog. So there was one room where uh, they, have, they have the coloured fog and you have, but what was particularly interesting about that room was not just the room because once you're, once you're in it, you're in it. So you could, it's, it's a 39 metre long corridor and you can only see a metre and a half in front of your face. But you, you wait to go in and you have a set of double doors so that all the fog doesn't spill out. When you're in between the set of double doors, you're in a group with about 10 people and that's quite dimly lit. What was lovely was when then you opened the doors to go into the beginning of this corridor, the sensation of the light in the fog, it was really brightly lit at the beginning with a kind of yellow light and then it went through to yellow and then it went through to pale blue. But that intensity of seeing that warm, yellow, vibrant light, it was bizarre. It was like coming out of an aeroplane. You know when you go somewhere really hot and you come out of an aeroplane and you go onto the hot tarmac and it just hits you. Mm-hmm. It was like that, but there was no warmth. It was all visual. So that was pretty awesome and there was also one room which people couldn't photograph which is perhaps why I quite liked it where there was a small water fountain the room was complete completely pitch black and it had a strobe light which must have been at exact it must have been the amount of light at the exact short period of time that just hit the fountain so you could only see it it was like a freeze-frame photography even though you could hear the water going all the time really liked that but the rest yeah. of it, the, you know, the, the model room was good, but the walking through things. And I mean, there was literally a giant mirror glitter ball at one point, And it was just like, oh, I don't know. I just compared to what we decided was, because we went together to the Anthony Gormley back in October, that that, even though it was also something similar in the sense that the works were 
were on kind of big scale and they were designed to be interacted with this felt it did feel gimmicky if i'm honest whereas the anthony gormley felt much more soulful and i came right. away with the feeling that anthony gormley is an artist oliver Lyerson isn't he's 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 much more of a polymath so he's interested in lots of things buildings architecture but in terms of in this space it didn't work so much for me so that didn't inspire me but afterwards there's a lovely bookshop opposite um tate modern which has lots of art books and i've got myself a lovely new book on um i've got a patrick heron book and a gerhard richter book that shows six of his drag paintings through all the various different stages of making which i managed to negotiate down from a hefty price to a slightly less hefty price so i'm really Can you negotiate prices in a bookstore it's a second-hand bookshop it's a second-hand ah, art ah, bookshop ah. so they have they have some really expensive books down to you know down to even kind of little pamphlety things that are a pound which can be great for collage material or all sorts yeah. amy found something for her gcse project so having a good browse and a good bookshop i'm very happy with my book haul today so yours is intellectual with mm. art exhibitions and books and mine is <laughs> uh, all about tiktok oh. so i and specifically about a girl on tiktok who i discovered this week and it was weird because i discovered her after the little boy that used to come around here when we at one point shared an apple id i say he used to come around because he got a playstation for christmas and we're Just, never it's gonna not see your him friend again. now yeah no but um he at one point was sharing my apple id and he put tiktok on his phone which meant it appeared on my phone and so i'd heard if anyone hasn't heard of this it's a new social media platform that's already grown to half the size of instagram in nine months yeah it's huge and it's huge with young people really yeah. young people teenagers and yeah. it used to be huge with 11 year olds now it's becoming huge with up to 20 25 year olds and it used to be musically, is, didn't it? Yeah, and the prediction is it will become huge with all of us eventually, but we all take long... It's just like everything, we take a long time to catch Should we on. be anyway. on it? Should we be on it? Tell well, us about this person I don't first, know. and then but let's that's have not, that very briefly. That's not what was inspiring. So because I've, I had it on my phone, I went on it, and the first videos that came up for me were all young girls, I mean really young girls, dolled up to the... like honestly looked like prostitutes it was really upsetting me i was just like what is going on in our world that these girls think they have to look like this and then i went onto youtube later and i was watching my favorite gary vaynerchuk uh, marketing guy i love watching him and he was interviewing this one this girl 15 year old girl called charlie d'amelio and if you type in charlie without an e into google she'll come up she's huge and i had no idea she even existed and she became huge on tiktok overnight she's a dancer she's been dancing since she was three her friends suggested to her that she might dance on tiktok because she's very good she did and i think like her 14th or 15th video went suddenly viral she had no idea what was going on she became huge she now has meet and greets where screaming hundreds of thousands of screaming people go to try and meet her she's a big star to people who are young and she was being interviewed by gary v 
But what was so inspiring about her was, first of all, she wears no makeup on any of her videos. She wears sweatpants. She wears dance gear. She's totally like a fresh-faced young girl. Mm-hmm. And apparently every teenage boy in the world has a crush on Charlie. Now that's an exaggeration, but she is the, she's the star the of teenage boys at the moment. And it just, and she was a lovely, lovely girl who still, her mum said, oh, they, somebody called about a modeling gig. And I said, oh, she won't have picked up because I've taken a phone off her because she hasn't tidied a bedroom for the last three weeks. <laughs> so, <laughs> so her whole life is still really down to earth. She's really down to earth. She was lovely. She wasn't all tarted up. And I just thought there's hope for yeah. young girls, young women, if, if that's what young boys want, if that's who young boys want to be, you know, want to have a crush on. It just kind of gave me hope. And also the fact that she was such a lovely girl and she was handling this whole massive thing so well. It was really nice. I'll have to go and check that out. Yeah. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes to uh, her compilation video, a compilation video of her. When I went and looked, I thought, oh, I kind of get it. I kind of see what the appeal is, but not really. Like, you know, and she said that at school, all of her friends are like, I don't see what's so special about you. I don't see why you, um, but I don't know. I just really felt like there was hope for our gender in the future if that's who becomes famous. Sounds good. So should we be on TikTok? I have no idea. Probably not just now, but I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, people used to say Instagram's only for kids. People used to say Facebook's only for kids. I can't see at the moment that that's that's where my target audience is hanging out. No, I don't think they are at the moment. No, but I think they will. Really? I think they will. Yeah. Well, mm. I mean, that much growth. I think we're going to. Well, we'll see, won't we? I'm not going on it for now, but I did think why wow, that kind of growth is remarkable. And to, which she said that nine months ago, when she first used it, all her friends laughed at her because that's for ten-year-olds. Mm-hmm. and now it's for and then it was only for girls and then all the boys got on it and now it's for like up to mid-20s probably so it's going quite fast mm-hmm. anyway I'm not going on TikTok for now oh, don't worry you won't see me dancing or miming on TikTok <laughs> right so I think that's it for us uh, as always we've gone on too long so we'll have to do some editing okay that just about wraps things up for us i just wanted to give a quick shout out for alice's connected artists club which will be opening again soon most of you probably heard about this but in case you haven't uh, i am a member of this club and it really is good and i can say that and she she can blush in the background but it really is worth at least getting on the waiting list and finding out what it's all about. You can do that at alicesheridan.com backslash artists. That doesn't commit you to anything. It just puts you on the waiting list and then Alice will be in touch when the club opens back up again. Yeah, we had a lovely thing this week, actually. I kind of hopped on and thought I'd better get my um, marketing in gear. And I just, I asked people who are within the club to just let me know what their favorite part about it was and what where they were before and what it's changed things for them and that was 
such a lovely exercise just to see to see what came through from people and I think what was really interesting for me is just to understand a little bit more I know what I think the advantages are but when you do an exercise like that and you see what other people give you in terms of feedback it really kind of opens up well, it opens up my mind anyway. So um, I'll be sharing some of those stories, I think, in these emails. And I'm not going to do a big, a big thing about this. But um, so those emails will only be going out to you if you're on the um, interest list. That's all. All right. Well, we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye-bye. Right. So you're going to lead this one then. No, it's your turn. I did no, last I time. Did. I did the last time. No. You said to me last time. Did you? Yes. Did you? Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> you said it's your idea. You lead it. Oh, you're right. You're right. You're right. Yeah, I did. Okay. Oh, damn. I better <laughs> think there. <sighs> does okay. it make a difference? It does. It makes it. Uh, yes, it does. Because I have to do the beginning and the ending, and I'm terrible at those. Oh no, I don't think we all have to dance. So there's one lady who I did come across who's very funny. She plays tricks on children, and I'm not sure this is really a nice thing to do, but she plays pranks on her children on I've TikTok. I've seen that, I think. And she did one where she said, she gave them a jar of Marmite, and she told them it was face cream, and they had to get it all over their faces, and they're like rubbing it all on. Hang on, sorry, I'm Googling her name. Mm -hmm. Can you hear that playing? No. Oh, oh, that scared me. I was Googling her name and when you find her YouTube channel, which I did just to copy it, it has an autoplay video, which was very loud in my earpiece. Obviously. Oh no, we can hear it. <laughs> okay, all right, as you were. <laughs> oh, right, okay.